Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Well, are you ready for the Word? All right, let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be looking at one verse in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, tonight, uh, the, the, the question that I have tonight that I want to ask you is, who is worthy? Oh, wow. Who is worthy? <laughs> There's a good one for you. What in the world could I be talking about? Because you know no one is worthy. Uh, but uh, tonight, we're going to hear this question uh, because it was a question that Jesus told his disciples to ask. In Matthew, the 10th chapter, Jesus was sending out some disciples that had been with him for a while, and he was sending them out so they could minister, and he was telling them how to go about the ministry. What do you do when you enter into a new city? What do you do? And he said, this is what I want you to do. When you enter into a, a new city, he said in Matthew 10 and verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there Till you go out worthy whoa that's a big question now think back you know Christianity did not exist at this time okay and these are cities and towns that they are entering into where men and women who were of a Jewish descent had been keeping the law for generations they had been you know uh, doing their best to do what they believed was best uh, they were given a set of instructions like, uh, like a teacher, the Bible says. The law was a teacher to help them uh, walk in a way that pleased God. And uh, what in the world did Jesus mean? Who is worthy? Go into a town. Can you imagine someone coming into our city, maybe with a loudspeaker, you know, driving in one of those cars, and they're saying, who is worthy? Can you imagine someone that you've never met coming up to you in a Walmart parking lot and saying, excuse me, do you know anyone in town that's worthy? I mean, that's what's happening here. They're going like to the, you know, to the town square and asking people, inquire, he said, ask other people, who is worthy? He went on to tell them that, that, that uh, whenever you find somebody that's worthy, then you go to their house and you stay in their house until you leave the city and you let that place where, where, where worthy people, where you've met some worthy people, whoever is worthy, you let that be your base of operation, your base of ministry. And you stay there and if you find out that they really are worthy, then may, may your peace and may blessings, your blessings is on your life, come to their lives. But while you are there, if you find out they are not really worthy, then you're supposed to walk out of their house and shake the dust of your feet off against them and as a testimony against them. Now, this to me, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I kind of preach a little more grace-filled doctrine <laughs> that uh, it would be difficult to, to, to go to someone's town and say, excuse me, but who in the city is worthy? And they say, well, you know, uh, James down there, uh, you know, at the end of the street, he's worthy. And so you go down there and say, hey, James, are you worthy? 
then I think I'm going to stay with you while I'm in town, and I think I may stay about three months or three years, and I'm going to use your house as a place of operation. By the way, could you cook me something to eat? Get me something to drink? Give me a bedroom? And while you're there, you're either you're judging, is he really worthy or is he not worthy? Is he really receiving me or not receiving me? Jesus said, if they don't receive you, then you know, uh, uh, walk out and, and, and testify against them. That just sounds a little harsh because the gospel that we embrace is, uh, sounds like it you know, would be a little less intimidating than that. A little less judgmental, a little less critical. I mean, am, am I the only one that this particular thing bothers? It bothers me. I want to know why. I want to know what did Jesus mean? Because whenever we see Scripture, it's like, it's like uh, imagine like a book that you're reading uh, or like a building that you're observing. You know, you may not know why the builder built that building. You may not know why the writer wrote that book. You can read the book and you can imagine all of the good things that the book might teach. Or you can imagine when you look at the building all of the wonderful things that the building might be used for. But you really do not know why the builder built the building. You really don't know exactly why the writer wrote the book unless the writer tells you why he wrote it. I mean, it could be good for a lot of things. The building could be used for a lot of things, but you may not know why the builder built the building unless the one who actually constructed it tells you why. And in the case of the Word of God, when we read a scripture, we really at times wonder, how does that scripture fit into the building that God is building? Why? Why did he write it like that? What is the whole story? How does this fit into the one story that God is telling? Because God is only telling one story from cover to cover. It only tells one story. So we, we, we have to make sure we understand why something that sounds a little judgmental and critical, something that sounds a little harsh, something that sounds a little direct, is actually included in the instructions for these disciples. And yet we see a Jesus that's so loving and kind and we're cautioned not to be judgmental and not to be critical. And we're told that, that we'll be judged by the same measure we judge other people. And so there are so many elements to what the author of the Bible, Almighty God, there are so many elements, and unless we know why this is here, then we're not going to understand how it fits in our lives, and every word fits in our lives. Does it seem just a little bit you know, odd to you that Jesus would you know, tell you? Because these are instructions for us as well. Look around for worthy people. Partner with them. Wow. Well... I'm going to tell you right up front that God is looking for good people. God is looking. Jesus told him, look for some worthy people. God is looking for good people. 
That's one of the big things that I immediately take away from this passage is that, that God and, and Jesus and the disciples, they were looking, and, and, and the church, and today we're still looking for good people. God's looking for good people. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth looking for those whose hearts are upright so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. Well, that's interesting. Uh, whether, you know, whether we're looking at Ruth, you remember Ruth, the Moabitess? There's a book uh, in the Old Testament, Ruth. She was a young widow. She had you know, no reason other than just her heart's desire to go and move to a new country and to work hard and serve so that her mother-in-law could be taken care of. She had a good heart. And do you know that God rewarded her? He was looking, and whenever Boaz, as a representation, the man that married her later, if, you, if, if you've read the book, the representation of Christ, whenever he found her, one of his exclamations was, I know what you're doing. I see how hard you're working. I see the good things that you're doing for your mother-in-law. Your reputation precedes you. You know, uh, how, how, how wonderful. Or, or perhaps maybe at Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. You remember Cornelius? He was not a Jew. He was not a Christian. He was a Roman centurion. He was a part of the occupying force of the land of Canaan. But yet, God saw him doing something. God saw Cornelius giving to the poor. He was giving alms and he prayed to God. He did not know God. He only knew about God. But he was dedicated to pray to a God that he did not personally know. And he was committed to giving to help the poor. And when God saw that, you know, God's looking for good people. He saw that good man he sent an angel to that good man and said, I want you in my kingdom. Send down and get Peter so Peter can come back and tell you how to be saved. And when he heard how to be saved, him and his whole household were saved. Why? Because God is looking for people who are doing good things. That's the truth of the Bible. Jesus happened to call these people worthy. Find some people who are worthy, who have value, who are invested in the community, who are trying their best to follow the law. And out of a good heart, they will be willing to open up their home to you. They will be willing to help you because that's some of the things that the Bible, that the Old Testament, the law, had told them to do. Find somebody that's doing good in the community. Find someone that has a good reputation for helping people and go and stay with them. And if you find out that they really are helpful to people and everything, then may the blessing of Jesus Christ that is on your life come upon their lives God is looking for good people looking for people that are willing to help strangers isn't that interesting I find it interesting they you know they may not be the most religious people in town he didn't say you know when you enter into a city find the most religious person he didn't say when you enter into a city find the people that are always in church Hello. 
He said, when you enter into a city, he, he, he did not say, uh, go to the preacher's house. Look, look for the deacons. Find an elder. No. He said, inquire. Who is the person in town that is a valuable person? That is a person who, who is, is, is a giving, caring person. A person who would be willing to take in a stranger. A person who would be willing to help someone out who had no money. Someone that was willing to help uh, someone new in town. Look for somebody that, that, that has a good reputation. Uh, as I said, they may not be the most religious people in town, but look for the person who's most helpful. I find that to be interesting. You know, Jesus called these people worthy, as I said. Um, and, and we must be watchful in our lives that we do not allow ceremony to take the place of service. What do I mean by that? I mean that we must be very careful in our life that we do not allow our religious ceremony to take the place of our Christian service. We need to make sure that we're not just going through the motions, but rather that we have the heart. That we're not just going to church and singing three songs and, 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 and giving in the offering and listening to the message and going home and, and coming back next week and, doing the, and going through the motions and, and that our life becomes ceremony. Our life becomes something that we do without being connected to what we're doing. We cannot allow ceremony to take the place of a heart of service to the Lord. What are we doing and why are we doing it? Why do we do what we do? Is our heart connected? You know, we must make sure that we're not just going through the motions of prayer. You know, before we eat, do you say the very same thing every time? Is it ceremony? Oh, I've done got to meddling now, hadn't I? You know, uh, do you do it as a ritual? Do you do it because you'll feel guilty if you don't? Or are you connected to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and thankful for the food that you are about to eat and, and mindful of so many that are not so blessed and seeking the Lord for what we can do? To make sure that we also offer someone else a part of the bounty that God has given to us. Is it ceremony? Or are we engaged in service? Service because of the heart that we have. How about worship? How about family? How about church? How about life in general? Are we connected in our heart thankful for the job that we have or do you just go to work for ceremony do you just go and spend your eight hours get a 15 minute break here and i get a lunch and i get a 15 minute break there and i can't wait till it's over and i get to go home it's just ceremony it's not service i'm not as as god requires working as though i was working for the lord not with eye service not as men pleasers but engaged in an occupation that I count as a blessing, engaged in an education that I count as an opportunity from God. 
engaged in friendships and relationships that are precious jewels and gifts given to me? Or is it just ceremony? You know, God is not impressed with anything, including sacrifice, unless it's from the heart. I don't want to suggest, by the way, a disrespect for the law of God. I don't want to suggest a disrespect for salvation. Not at all. But we do need to set the record straight. We are living in some very hypocritical times, as we all, you know, in every generation, you know, as far back as, as creation. We are living in some very hypocritical times that sometimes we do things because we feel obligated or because it is just habit and we can if we're not watchful lose the sharpness lose the cutting edge we can keep the commitment but lose the heart we can keep our 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 activities going but lose the 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 sense of connection to god as i said for the food we eat the job we have the relationships we 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 enjoy you know, God is not impressed with our ceremony or our sacrifice when it's not of the heart. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, in, in chapter 10, you can read chapter 10 in Hebrews later. It's, it's, it's a wonderful expression of what I'm trying to say here. But, but uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 of Hebrews was quoting out of Psalms, the 40th chapter. And in Psalms 40, verse 6 and 8, let me read these. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. God never wanted sacrifice. He never wanted offering. But, you know, the people made a religion out of it. You know, it, it wasn't that way. You know, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Verse 8, rather... This is, you know, a, a messianic passage. This is what Jesus would, would say and what we also, I delight, I enjoy, I'm excited. <laughs> I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. It's not just in my hands. It's in my heart. You know, I'm not just going through the motions. You never wanted sacrifice. God does not want you to come to church as a sacrifice. He doesn't want you to go to work as a sacrifice. He doesn't want you to, you know, do anything as a sacrifice, whether it's praying before you eat or standing up for worship, you know, joining online. If it's a sacrifice, you're missing the boat. You're missing the joy, the delight. I delight, oh God, in doing what I believe you want me to do. I don't count it a drudgery. I don't count it a, a guilt offering. I don't count it, a, you know, an imposition. I don't count it a sacrifice. This evening we're going to hear God's answer to the question, who is worthy? You know, because uh, uh, we will find both the question and the answer in five verses of one psalm. There's one psalm that is five verses long. It's Psalm 15. And Psalms 15, we're going to read both the question and the answer. 
Okay, this is a psalm of David. We don't know when David wrote this. Many people imagine he may have written it uh, as, as the Ark of the Covenant was coming to Zion and being established there. And he may have written Psalm 15 for that occasion, wanting to know uh, who was worthy. Uh, but, but it may not have been that occasion. We don't know. But it's definitely uh, a psalm that is pointed at Jesus. You know, it's, 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 uh, but it's also pointed at us. Let's, let's read it. Uh, uh, verse one, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Psalms 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? What's he saying? He's saying, who's worthy? Lord, who may abide? This, this concept of abiding means traveling with, sojourning. It's a temporary situation, not a permanent situation. You know, it's like having communion with God. Who can have communion? Who can sit down and have a cup of tea with God? You know, who can have a communion? Who can sojourn is a, is a, is a better word. It's a temporary situation. Who is it that, that, that is worthy to, uh, to sojourn in the ta- sit down with God? Who is it that's worthy to, to sit at God's table and have communion with him and conversation with him? And who is it? Who's worthy at the table of the Lord? Or who may dwell, there's a, there, there, there's a permanent situation, dwelling. Who may dwell in your holy hill at Zion? Uh, you know, Zion, New Testament is pointed at the church. And, you know, who may dwell in the church? Who may dwell in the temple? Who may dwell on Zion? Who is it that you welcome to be a citizen of your city of heaven? Lord, who may sit down and commune with, who may Commune with you, God, and who may be welcomed into heaven. That's how we would put it in New Testament terms. Who are you welcoming at your table? And who is it, Lord, that will be a citizen of heaven? Well, you know, I mean, how dare anyone suggest that there are some requirements? (laughs) You know, (laughs) what do you mean requirements? Wait a second. Yes, the whole Bible is filled with requirements. Remember earlier I told you that God loves you so much, but you are the one that opens up the door to experience that love. You know, uh, uh, Jesus is waiting to save you, but you're the one who opens up the door. Jesus is waiting to bless you, but you are the one that opens up the door. You know, one of my greatest requests to God, one of my greatest prayers to God, one of the most spiritual moments in my life. In fact, the greatest spiritual encounter I ever had with God, I asked him one question, or I was made one statement. I asked him to bless your, bless your people, God. That's what I said. Bless your people, God. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, I heard the voice of God loud within me saying, I have blessed my people. Now you go and you teach them how to walk in my blessings. You know, God sent Jesus. He won't send him a second time. He sent him once. And he has done what he will do. While we are waiting on a move of God, God is, is, is waiting on a move of people. He's waiting on us to move. We open a door. And allow him in greater and greater into our lives. We allow him into our situations, into our problems, our tribulations, our tests, our trials, our temptations. We invite him in because life doesn't get necessarily any more easy. We're still in this, as John Osteen used to say, we are still in the nasty now and now. We can read about the sweet by and by and we can sing about the sweet by and by, but we are stuck in the nasty now and now. 
It doesn't mean that you won't have problems, but inviting God in, inviting Jesus in, means that you have answers. It means that you have someone walking with you and talking with you, encouraging you, and you get to, 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 to you know, uh, escape many of those problems and the depths of those problems and it keeps uh, you from sinking into a hole by yourself but he pulls you up out of a pit and sets your feet up on a rock and puts a new song in your heart that's why the psalmist said that's in psalms 40 i delight to do your will i love doing your will because you deliver me constantly lord who can do this you know uh, uh, who is worthy uh, the truth rings out both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, by the way. Uh, it clearly points a sinner toward a life change. If you're not where you ought to be, you can be. You can have a life change. If you are not worthy, as we understand what worthy is, then you can be. You can be made worthy through Jesus Christ. But that may take you doing something as well it only comes through true conversions and it might be said we cannot work our way to heaven but only workers are welcomed in i wrote that one myself that doesn't you got that i worked on that a good while let's let's look at it one more time we cannot work our way to heaven but only workers are welcomed in where do you find that matthew 25 Enter in. Well done, good and famous servant. No. Good and faithful servant. Why? Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you clothed me. Welcome. Welcome. Well, uh, salvation, as I said, is a matter of the heart and not a matter of the hands. You cannot work your way to heaven. But only workers are welcomed. It is certain that just as works alone cannot save, grace alone cannot prove. That's the whole book of James. And many other places. You know, works cannot save you. But grace alone cannot prove you have been saved. Without works, faith is dead. That's what James said. The message of grace and works cannot be separated. The single gift of grace on deposit in a life is the fruit of that grace. The fruit of God's ability working in your life. Salvation has never been proved in ceremony but rather in service. Salvation has never been proved because someone goes to church, reads the Bible, prays, sings a song, knows the words. It's what we do at the end of the day. Back to the question, who shall have communion with God who shall have citizenship in heaven well who's worthy to receive a welcome and a well done well thankfully we only have to go to the next verse and the psalmist 
begins to describe the person who is worthy to sit at God's table and welcomed into heaven. Who is it? Verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. You see, it's somebody that's been absolutely affected by the relationship they have with God. There's an opportunity for you to commune with God. There's an opportunity for you to be welcomed into heaven. There is an opportunity. Have you opened up your heart to that opportunity? If you do, the King of Kings will come in. And you know what the result will be? You will walk uprightly, work righteousness, and you'll speak the truth in your heart. That's just an outcropping of having received Jesus in your heart and in your life. It's called a conscience. It's called, you know, uh, the, the, the motivation, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that calls upon us, encourages us, motivates us, inspires us to walk uprightly, work righteousness, and speak the truth in our heart. Verse 3, he do, does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. That means that you're not going to get mad at your friend because one of your friends got mad at your friend. You know, uh, hello, we just, why? Because this is an outcropping. I mean, Jesus said, go and find people who are worthy and go and stay with them and you'll really see while you're staying with them whether they're really, you know, like that. I mean, uh, somebody that's willing from the heart here to, to, to uh, you know, uh, they've been touched by me. They're good people. Who's worthy? Well, People who walk uprightly and work righteous speak the truth in their heart. The Bible says you shall be known by your fruit. Hello? Is anybody out there? If somebody cuts you off in traffic tomorrow and gives you that California hello hanging out the window and honks and screams at you and you can hear them uh, you know, cussing you with every vile word, you're probably not going to say, Ooh, they're worthy to have communion with God and sit in the heavens. And you're, you're probably going to say, mm, they need Jesus. They need to get born again. They need help. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, you know, everyone ends up with a reputation. The people that know you real close. And let me ask you, are you walking uprightly, working righteousness? Are you doing what's right? Are you speaking the truth in your heart? Are you, are you, are you, you know, not lying to yourself? You know, are you listening to conviction of the Holy Spirit? You know, uh, uh, not backbiting with your tongue and not doing evil to your neighbor, not taking up a reproach and just always being mad and angry and aggravated, you know, uh, with, with, you know with, with your neighbor and your friends. Always just, you know, some contention going on, some drama going on. Whew. Verse 4, I like this one. Uh, the person who, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, dwell in thy holy hill, uh, it, it's a person in whose eyes a vile person is despised. That means that we don't look at wicked people and say, oh, it's okay. No, we say, you know, they're wicked. They don't need to be that way. We call right, right, and wrong, wrong. We don't call sweet bitter. We don't call bitter sweet. Right? But you recognize, you open up your eyes. You don't just say, well, because I'm a Republican or because I'm a Democrat or because I'm, I'm, I'm you know, from this city or this state or that state, then not, we, we can't do any wrong. Hello? I've done gone to meddling again, hadn't I? You know, there's some people won't open up their eyes to the truth. They just won't. And it's not the truth according to some political party. It's just the truth. 
but he honors those who fear the Lord. And I love this one. He that swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means your word is your bond. You know, when you enter into a city, ask, uh, you know, who's worthy. And when you go there to their house, uh, if, if they say, you know, I don't want you here. I, I did want you here, but now I don't. I said you could stay, but now you can't. Okay. Shake the dust of your feet off and leave. Why? Because that's, you know, God's looking for people who swear to their own hurt and, 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 and don't change. Just because it ends up costing them a little bit. Their word is their bond. Why? Because that's the way God is. Um, and, and look at this one. Verse 5, he who does not put out his money to usury. What does that mean? That means somebody that's not always going around trying to make a nickel off for all their friends. They're not charging interest, trying to make money off the, uh, always, you know. Uh, and here it's specifically connected with, with the Mosaic law that you don't charge unjust usury to a brother. You just don't do that. You don't try to, you know, that, that, that uh, the, the Hebrews were not supposed to um, make unjust gain that way. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things, which things, is not talking about the last two, but he who does these things, uh, the person who walks uprightly, works righteously, speaks the truth in his heart, does not backbite with his tongue, does not do evil to his neighbor, does not take up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, uh, and he honors those that fear the Lord uh, uh, and, and uh, um, swears his own hurt and does not change. The person that does these things shall never be moved. That's just, that's just good common sense. You know, I think God's got a lot more common sense than people give him credit for. Common sense isn't so common, is it? Um, and as I said, Psalms 15 is first a picture of Jesus Christ. And then it's a picture of all those who follow Christ. Who is worthy? Well, we know Jesus is worthy. But let me tell you for certain that you cannot be saved by works. But also let me tell you that if you are saved, you will find yourself being drawn into the image of God, being changed into His image. You'll find that there is a holy presence in your life that points out, in a, in a nice and gentle and kind way, points out areas that need changing. Don't resist, because God is looking to bless people who are serving Him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Don't allow your church experience, your Jesus experience to become ceremony. Don't allow your family experience to become ceremony. As I said, salvation is a matter of the heart, not a matter of the hands. But salvation has never been proved in ceremony, but rather in service. Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.